Hello and welcome to the African-American Studies channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, James Stansel. And today we have the author of Mainstreaming Black Power, Tom Adam Davies. Um, coming from across the pond in the UK, he is a lecturer in American history at the University of Sussex. And he talks about the uh, black power movement and how, you know, the movement itself may be do- viewed a bit differently. Um, if you uh, read his work there, that is, you know, more mainstream and the ideals of economic empowerment and such may be more associated with conservatism than with uh, uh, liberalism and radicalism. Uh, so check out this interview and see what you think there. And um, I think you'll enjoy this talk I have with Tom Adam Davies. So listen in. Hello and welcome to the New Books Network. My name is James Stansel and I'm your host on the African-American Studies channel. I have the pleasure of being here today with the author of Mainstreaming Black Power, Tom Adam Davies. He is a professor, excuse me, he's a lecturer in American history at the University of Sussex. And his book is published by the University of California Press. And some of you may be saying, Sussex, which state is that in? Well, he's coming from across the pond, as we say today. I've got a string of UK uh, writers, scholars, and researchers, and Dr. Davies is yet another. So hello, Dr. Davies. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you, James. Yeah, thanks uh, for inviting me. Yeah, it is my pleasure. And again, his book is Mainstreaming Black Power. And um, if you don't mind, Tom, maybe can, can you tell us a little bit about your background, personal, professional, whatever you'd like to share, and, and what led you to your interest in this topic in your book? Sure, yeah. Well, I suppose... Uh, when I think about how I ended up studying what I study, it's, mm-hmm. it's probably from when I was at university, University of Leeds, okay. um, which is a city in the north of England. Right. Um, and I, in, I actually hadn't really studied American history proper until uh, the second year okay. at school. Like today, school kids today in the UK, they study civil rights history quite often okay. in school. But uh, back back then, not that not that, it's that long ago. No, no. Um, that it was only something you'd ever studied at university. But so in the second year, I did a 20th century U.S. history course and um, wrote an essay on Martin Luther King and nonviolence in the civil rights movement. Okay. And then from that, I then in my final year did a special subject all about um, the civil rights movement and um, yeah, and I kind of fell into it from there. <laughs> uh, specialized in in the African American freedom struggle um, and kind of U.S. politics more broadly from there. So. Okay. So yeah. So you found some interest there, and the and the rest is, is history, as they say. Yeah, I was a very lucky, very lucky man. Yeah. I wrote my dissertation on um, on SNCC, okay. the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, right, and right. Um, I interviewed some former activists, and just yeah, became so engrossed with uh, with this organisation, and so uh, kind of awestruck with what they did. Um, but yeah, it just kind of sucked me into uh, American history, and luckily I'm, I'm here. Today, doing it for jobs. Yes, so such you in. Yes, American history has a way of doing that. Indeed, it does. We've had some uh, some interesting times. And for the, for the record, don't let Tom fool you. He's a very very young man, very very <laughs> very, very, very spry and, and, and active with a nice cool beard, much cooler than mine. So we're gonna have to talk about that offline, Tom. And maybe you can give me some tips on how to grow my beard out a little bit like that. I, I, I would be like happy that. to. <laughs> And so, um, yes, of course, uh, for regular listeners, uh, obviously, you know, this is a podcast, but you can go to our uh, blog page, 
on New Books Network, the African American Studies channel. And you can see some information there about Tom Adam Davies. You can you'll be able to see his lovely picture there and you can click right through from that blog page and you can purchase his book, Mainstreaming Black Power um, on uh, Amazon, our partners at Amazon. So in, in addition to listening to uh, our outstanding conversation here in this podcast, you can go through and, and purchase his book as well. I'm sure, Dr. David, you'd be okay with that, right? Um, that would be very much okay with me. Okay, sure. <laughs> absolutely. So, Tom, thank you for sharing uh, some about your background and how you got interested in, you know, American history. And, you know, maybe, you know, we can talk a little bit more here about what your book is all about, Mainstreaming Black Power. Now, a lot of us know about black power and the term black power and the, and the raised fist. And people think about uh, sure. Black Panther Party and some of those kinds of things. But what specifically are you writing about here? Because we're talking about mainstreaming black power, which is when people think about that black power movement, don't necessarily think about it in a mainstream way. Yeah, and I mean, that's, and that's really the entire point, right? So you talked about the, the Black Panther Party, and I sure. think if you ask the, the average person to think of something related to black power, they probably would think of the Black Panthers first, mm-hmm. right? Because there's such a, a strong uh, identification association with them. And with that, part of that is the assumption, I think, that black power was something that was always radical, mm-hmm. that was by definition radical. And of course, you know, much of the black power movement was very radical, but this book is um, it's trying to challenge the idea that, that it was innately radical and to say, okay. well, actually, plenty of African Americans understood black power very differently. Okay. And not just African Americans, but plenty of white politicians uh, tried to... Um, foreground an understanding, a vision of black power that was all about um, reinforcing mainstream middle class values. Mm-hmm. So it's not about revolution or redistributing wealth uh, or power to the oppressed masses, okay. you know, as, as the Black Panthers would um, kind of envisage black power, but rather it was about blacks being able to own their own homes and own their own businesses. Mm-hmm. and. Um, the ability of individual African Americans to achieve, rather than African Americans as a as a group, um, so a more kind of socially and economically conservative vision of black progress mm-hmm. that was all about middle class values of ownership, uh, private property, small government as well. Um, so yeah, the the book is essentially about how mainstream white politicians and institutions reacted to the emergence of black power mm-hmm. you know, when it, this, this, this slogan emerges in mid-66 and their efforts to try and use it as a way to reinforce um, the existing status quo and, okay. and really to, to offer the opportunity for some African Americans to become part of that um, American political and economic mainstream mm-hmm. um, but in a way that really ultimately uh, only deepened inequality at least this is one of the things I argue. Yeah, that you that you found in your research, sure, absolutely. Wow, yeah, and you know, often when people think about black power, and you know, and you know, and I guess one of the uh, descendants like the Black Lives Matter and some of those kind of things, they instantly think of like raving liberalism and progressive views and ideals. But you know, just like just like you just discussed at time if they research it, you know, uh, you know, African Americans, black people are not monolithic. And, you know, they Absolutely. Have, you have very many different, you know, perspectives, and they're all over uh, the political spectrum, and particularly, of course. Right, yeah, and in, in which in what you found in your research, and what you know, what knowledgeable people know, you know, even like in the you know religious setting, in the, the what we could call the black church, is generally mm. considered to be more more conservative, um, you know, in a lot of their their ideals or viewpoints. Um, sure. You know, than, but than I think that's think. 
Well, I think that's that's so important that, that and that's that hits now on the head because mm-hmm. that I think there still is a tendency to to view and to treat the African American community as if it's one kind of undifferentiated monolithic group, mm-hmm. as if just because African Americans share a racial identity that they must all share the same values. Right. It's just just simply not the case. Um, and, and black power is, I think, offers a great uh, example of that. Mm-hmm. That some some African Americans understood it completely differently to others. But if you look at the history and the historiography of black power, it really is defined by ideas of radicalism. Um, but I think there's more to black power than than just the black panthers, as important as they were. Sure. And that's that's kind of what the book is trying to say. This is this is what else. This is what else we can incorporate into the history of black power. Maybe we need to look at black middle class success during mm-hmm. the, the late 60s and 70s and say, well, this is part of black power for different reasons mm-hmm. and in different ways. Mm-hmm. Right, because it's literally you're gaining black power. <laughs> literally. Well, that is, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's, for some people, black power was purely that. It was just more economic power, um, more cultural empowerment. But it didn't mean um, that you had to be interested in revolution. Uh, you, you hated the, the government or the state or the police. Quite the contrary, you could uh, be deeply invested in all those things and want to be uh, have more of a share of American capitalism rather than want to blow American capitalism up. Right. A- absolutely. And so, Tom, can you maybe uh, take a few minutes? Because we have a lot of young scholars and you know maybe maybe uh, community people who listen, and you know and. I like to take some time and, and you know, and let the uh, the researchers, scholars, and, and authors, and academics maybe talk about what your research methods were. How did you go about, uh, you know, collecting your data and you know the things that you that you analyze in, in your work here? Sure, sure. Well, um, so I was very fortunate to be able obviously to come over to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, to uh, to conduct uh, a lot of my primary research. I think I was there for about six months in total. Um, okay. And obviously, the book looks at well, three kind of cities in particular, mm-hmm. New York, Los Angeles, and Atlanta. Um, but it kind of brings them together within a story of, of national politics as well. So mm-hmm. um, I was very fortunate to spend a lot of time in New York and L.A. and, and Atlanta. And there um, I was in archives, various different archives at, at universities and public libraries. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the stuff I was looking at were um, community group records. Okay. So a lot of, kind of individual activists. Also, um, African American politicians' papers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first, I mean, the first chapter of the book looks at the war on poverty, which is a kind of really important starting point. Okay, right. And the war on poverty, um, fortunately, has some pretty good records, and so it's through yes. that you can get to uh, these kind of amazing community-level formations that were, were created all over uh, the U.S. Um, and that was a way into the history of groups who otherwise really you just don't read about them. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of it's only recently that they've actually kind of become represented in, in the historiography of the period but so there's a lot of a lot of oral histories as well um, a lot of um, media so not just but you know kind of white mainstream media but also um, African American and other minority uh, press mm. organizations as well right. newspapers and such yes I mean there's some amazing places uh, as uh, I'm sure you'll know like the Schomburg uh, Central New York, right, right. Uh, with remarkable, incredible collections there. Um, I had the pleasure of going down to the um, um, Robert Woodruff Library, at the Atlanta University okay. Center, right. which yeah, is AUC. Was great. Yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. And um, in Los Angeles, there's a 
well, lots of different places, but there's a, this, a Southern Californian Library for Social Research, okay. which is um, down in the kind of, um, well, South Central area. Okay. Uh, it's an amazing library with incredible collections of uh, local organizations, and it's got um, black newspapers going back to the early uh, 20th century, late 19th century. Wow. So, yeah. It was, I tried to get quite a broad range of sources, um, and but it really is, I guess, trying to give a voice to community-level activism and top-level politics as well, and kind right. of bringing those two things together. So, right. cool. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And you know, these resources that you just heard Tom mention are readily available for anyone. You know, he was on, yeah, he's in the East Coast, he's in the South, he was on the West Coast. These are these are all facilities and you know museums and libraries that you know any of us could walk in and you know access some of these things. So you don't you know you don't have to be writing a book like like Tom or you know being an academic if you want to know about about your history and your past and you know uh, the newspapers and the black media like Tom mentioned in your area. Definitely go in and take a look at those things. You may find some of your relatives are mentioned in some of these articles or <laughs> some of your your, yeah. your neighborhoods. You also heard Tom mention that he did oral histories. You know, we can all take the time to interview some of our older relatives. And you've heard me mention on on the podcast before that, you know, people from some of these important time periods are, are passing away. They're disappearing before our eyes. So we definitely need to um, you know, listen to their stories and to you know document and acknowledge their, their past contributions to history. It could be an important person, you know, to the community or it could be your own relative, your uncle or your aunt or something. You may be surprised when you talk to them what they what they were involved in and what they found out. Every cell phone, you know, pretty much smartphone has a microphone on it. So maybe at a family gathering or something, record one of your older relatives and ask them about what they were involved with. And they may have been involved with the Black Panther Party or one of these other organizations that Tom mentions in, in his text. Um, you know, through he, that he found through his research. So definitely do that. You know, you don't have to be a scholar from the UK like uh, Dr. Davies. You can be a, a local community researcher or scholar or anyone, or you can become the next Tom um, Adam Davies if you're a young person. Um, make your contribution, make, make your mark on society and, and history. Don't just leave it to someone else, right? We're the person that we're waiting for. I'm sure you would agree, Tom. <laughs> uh, it's, it's so important, you know, that's exactly, if you don't preserve um, the voices of ordinary people, that's what gets lost further down the line. Right. Um, so yeah, I couldn't agree more. Right. And just like your interest was peaked in American history, someone else's can be as well, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so tell me about how long, you know, if you could just estimate, you know, uh, to, com to complete this work. You know, how long do you think it, you know, it took you from beginning sure. to end? So it was, so this is what I did. This is my kind of PhD, doctoral mm -hmm. research project, um, right. which I, I think I um, arrived in the U.S., First time August 2010, mm -hmm. uh, and then I think I basically finished the project as a PhD just before, uh, by that late 2013. Okay. And then I, I started a job here, at the University of Sussex, yeah. and then since then um, it's been the case of trying to improve the manuscript and then obviously get get in with the press, right. uh, which I was very fortunate to be with uh, with University of California Press, mm -hmm. and. Things always move slowly in academic publishing. So. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, <laughs> nothing, they do. nothing goes at a, at a good speed. But um, yeah, then I, I've added an epilogue to the book as well to try and reflect on some of the um, right. you know, the Obama administration and some of the things that have happened in the last um, 
well, since the 80s, really. Because mm-hmm. the book kind of drops, stops off in, in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, I was trying to think about how black political power has changed since then, and or, or not, the case may be. But, sure, um, sure. yeah, so I guess now it's out, published um, in the last couple of months in the US, so mm-hmm. just under seven years was wow. uh, right. the journey. So, right. it's uh, yeah, it's, it's very pleasing to see it finally yes. uh, in print. <laughs> Your baby has been born, Tom. <laughs> right, and you know we and we often you know I ask this question of the scholars on on the, on the show, and yes, very often the uh, the the average answer I would say is between right seven to ten years, you yeah. know, be, be it dissertation work like yours or you know just uh, you know maybe a later research project in, in an academic's career. So this is not something that you can just start and, and, and end. There's, you know, in six months, there's lots of if you heard Tom mention starts and stops. Lots of hurry ups and lots of waiting. That's um, it, yeah. <laughs> but, it's, um, it's, um, yeah, it's a bit, you're right. It's, uh, you do have peaks and troughs, and you know, it's, uh, it's amazing, though, to, uh, as a sense of a project will take that long to right. say, you know, to do the research, to then write it up. Writing's a hard thing to do, and it takes practice and time, so, right. but a very rewarding thing. So, yeah, Absolutely. And to be doing something good that, uh, you know, like you did here in mainstreaming black power and, you know, you're kind of giving something to the, to the community and enlightening people on maybe some aspects of, of history that they may not be as familiar with. And so um, I hope so. <laughs> uh, how you, you did. You did, Tom. So congratulations to you for this for this great work. And it's, it's mainstreaming black power and it's published by the University of California Press. And of course, we're here with the author, Tom Adam. Davies. He's a lecturer in American history at the University of Sussex. And of course, I'm your host, James Stansel. We're on the African-American Studies channel of the New Books Network. And Tom, let's talk a little bit about um, a minute about the title itself. Um, is, sure. this, is this a title that, that you that you chose or was it something that you negotiated with the <laughs> with the publishers? No, it and, is. What, that's the one that I chose. Um, good, good. And yeah, I think it's it, it kind of does what it needs to do because yes. it, it is a sense that the book is really about how uh, Black Power became incorporated into uh, the American political economic mainstream, or at least mm-hmm. how an idea of it um, became incorporated. And ultimately, you know, it finishes with black politicians um, in the 70s and 80s, Tom Bradley in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and Maynard Jackson in Atlanta in particular, uh, who's you know, become part of a political establishment and ultimately pursue policies that have only widened inequality in mm-hmm. uh, in, in those communities in, mm-hmm. in the decades since. So uh, I, I guess it's not um, it, the overall learning message isn't a particularly positive one. You know, I'm not offering like lots of hope for the future, but um, it is to try and suggest that you know, there are also other ways. You know, the, the politicians today in the U.S need to move away from the kind of policies that have helped to you know, deepen inequality. Um, but that's a process that began in the late 60s and 70s, a shift away from certain values to a new set of values, which mm-hmm. um, have ultimately had pretty deleterious impact on um, American cities and, and the communities that live within them. I mean, and this is an interesting, you know, perspective, and I hope a lot of people will, um, you know, um, you know, read your book or become familiar with it because, you know, it's something seriously to think about. I mean, you've got the documentation there, and you've and you've done your research, and that, uh, you know, maybe there's a different way, um, you know, a different path to success 
um, than what you know it, you know that has been followed or, or that that we've been following you know in in, in the black community in terms of, of leadership. Um, so certainly there's a there's a space for your scholarship, Tom. Um, you know, and and others as well. I mean, I think the complete picture. You're going to have to look at all these different kind of things. You know, if if you want to have more success in the 21st century. You know, absolutely. And, and what about your cover, Tom? I, I love the, the the cover. Can you tell us a little oh, bit about, about about the design? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's um, I so I had an idea for um, for what I wanted to look like, and so the idea is you've, you've got the the kind of classic black power salute fist, right? The fist, um, right. But then the it's the arm is kind of as if they're wearing a um, a suit that which the American flag is uh, on the sleeve. So. Right. Yeah, the idea that, that it's meant to look like a suit sleeve, uh, okay. an arm in a suit, gotcha. but the, which then of course implies kind of business and uh, right. you know, mainstream right. American society. Mainstream. But yeah, luckily I have a friend who's a, a graphic design artist who was able to make it look much much better than uh, <laughs> <laughs> than your yeah. vision. <laughs> yeah, I said I gave him a very crude uh, kind of picture that I draw, and I said, "Can you make this look good?" <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, he did his name's Paul Hainsworth, and he did a great job. So, right. shout out him. to Paul. Yes, indeed, shout out to Paul. So, yeah, he's done a great job. So, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I think it looks great actually. And uh, if anyone you know, is willing to judge a book by its cover, then this is the book to judge <laughs> by its cover. So. Judge it by its cover, right? Well, yeah. you know, a lot of time for you know books that are read by popular audiences, as you as you know, Tom, <laughs> they definitely judge it by the cover. <laughs> um, and so this is a good one. So it wasn't done in house by anyone at the press. It was by uh, a person that you found. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, it worked out really, really well. So uh, yeah, it's great. Because I know sometimes other people uh, that you don't actually have control over what goes on this right. book. Technically, when you sign the book contract, it's right. kind of it then goes to the press, as you say. They normally get to do what they want. But in this instance, I, I sent them the the image, and they said, "Okay, it was good." Right. That's wow. That yeah. Because yeah. you know, I've, I've talked to you know different writers on the show. Exactly what you just said, <laughs> Tom. Once you sign the contract, you've kind of signed over everything. You know, book mm. book title or creative control of the uh, cover. But oftentimes, you know, people who work in the publishing industry, they have a good idea. They are knowledgeable about those things. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and UCP has been fantastic. So yeah. I, I I've been very fortunate the whole way through. Yeah. But, you know, in this case, you know, you chose, you know, the, the title and they, they approved it as well as, you know, had, you had one of your, your, your colleagues, one of your mates there that uh, did a great job with the cover. So that's, that's mm. good. So it's a diff- different process with every book, you know. Um, and, you know, for long-time listeners of the channel, you, you, <laughs> you've heard uh, some of the writers talk about their struggles in that area or, or how, you know, they had great ideas that came from the press or the, you know, the graphic design of the in-house office. So it's always different. There's no one way that it's done or one correct way. It just depends on each book and each, each project, and it can be a little different each time. So that's great, Tom. You, you got a lot of control in, in, in this one here. So that's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it worked out really, really well. So I'm, I, I couldn't be happier with the, the final product, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's good. And so, right, you know, you, you mentioned that you, you, your book kind of drops off a little bit through the, through the 80s there, which I think about that, too, you know, just as a, myself, a student of, of studying American history, it seems like there was that big change there. It's like things kind of slowed down or just kind of mm. disappeared or, or, or dissipated. People kind of put down their, uh, their, their, uh, their uh, you know, protest hats and, and you know, and kind of went a different way. You know, do you think now that we're in the 21st century, you know, 
are things kind of returning to um, those past uh, methods and movements, or you know, you know, what do do you think in terms of where we are now in, in 2017, and you know, what we'll see in the future? Sure. Yeah. Look, that's uh, it's it's something that I think about quite a lot. You know, I think uh, <clears throat> some of the a lot of the biggest books that were written about the civil rights movement were by people who lived during it. Sure, sure. Uh, and of course, it only becomes clear in retrospect just how seismic those events really are. Obviously, right. I'm sure at the time it would seem very important, but uh, it's you know, we are now living to an age where it feels like there's been a kind of rebirth uh, to uh, not just African American but kind of broader social movements in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially the Black Lives Matter movement is uh, is a real kind of step change um, mm-hmm. and who knows, you know, in 30, 40 years, you know, we might be looking back and, and having documentaries and, uh, you know, lots of memoirs of people mm-hmm. involved in Black Lives Matter movement now. And I think it, the remarkable thing is that um, the kind of things that they're talking about, you know, economic inequality, institutional racism, mm-hmm. these kind of things uh, were basically scrubbed from the agenda since the 1980s. They're very kind of powerful, conservative-shaped media narratives about inequality and racism in the U.S. that... Right reframed um, you know black poverty as a result of failings in the black community or you know institutional racism couldn't exist anymore because mm-hmm. America had moved beyond race and right. uh, you know, racial America <laughs> exactly yeah I mean this has been uh, an ideology that's been funded by conservative think tanks and expounded in you know the Hoover Institute and the Manhattan Institute and, mm-hmm. and all these these um, kind of conservative strongholds um, and they're being challenged now and they've been challenged uh, explicitly and forcefully and they've been completely debunked uh, well at least in the minds of, of many people sure, sure so sure. this this does feel like a, a, a rebirth of um, activism in the US it feels like a, a crucial time um, the question and, and it's very encouraging to see the Black Lives Matter has gone from being you know, from the beginning I guess with a particularly strong focus on mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, racial disparities in the criminal justice system, which of course it still is focused on, but now they have a much broader mm-hmm. political agenda. Um, right. It's going to be fascinating to see how they push that forward, this kind of anti-GOP, anti-Trump resistance agenda, which, look, I mean, America needs that, I think, because the GOP and Trump are trying to do some uh, fairly horrendous things, as far as I'm concerned. Um you know, the kind of healthcare bill that's going through now, uh, which looks like it's going to get passed without anyone knowing anything about it, is uh, so anti-democratic and so uh, morally troubling that um, it's it's just a great thing that there are people like Black Lives Matter who are trying to fight this kind of politics. And hopefully they'll get more and more people um, supporting them in the future. We'll see, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, everything has to start somewhere, right? And they're working on being a movement as opposed to just a moment. And, yes, absolutely. Um, and they often say, you know, one of my favorite expressions is, is that um, history may not repeat, but it often rhymes. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and let so me, true. And let me also say that the views expressed by Tom Adam Davies on the New Books Network are not necessarily the views. <laughs> <laughs> Of, of of the channel or Dr. Marshall Poe or any of the hosts, though they very well may be, but uh, not necessary. <laughs> but yeah, that's a that's a great point that you uh, you make there. Um, you know, uh, Tom, and you know, it very well may be you, Tom Adam Davies, writing about the Black Lives 
matter movement in 30 or 40 years, you know? Yeah, well, I, would, I think it's, uh, it's an amazing movement now, and um, yeah, it's the future of black protest, isn't it? So, but the future of protest in general. Um, right. In the internet so, age, you know? Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, that's, uh, in many ways, it makes what uh, was done in the 60s and 70s even more impressive. Mm-hmm. When I think about you know, today, obviously, social media has really, as you've suggested, completely uh, transformed activism. But imagine back in the 60s, you had to agree to do things and then meet in right. a certain place. You couldn't just text message someone or you know, tweet them or you couldn't go up a whole load of um, activists and people online by sending a single tweet and a hashtag. You had to go and you know, pound the pavement and knock on doors and, and you know, get people to commit. And Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing in its own way, but it makes me think about the, uh, the past and just how, how different it must have been. I mean, there's some benefits to the technology, of course, but there's also um, some detriments as well, you know, because there there is not the connectivity. You have more connectivity in a sense, but like you said, you don't have the connectivity where people are sitting there together and planning and and really, you know, kind of everyone's on the same page. You know, you you, you don't have it that way. You know, Black Lives Matter is pretty much anybody can go out there and say, I'm Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And, Which presents know, his own problems, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, because people, people who are opposed to maybe the, you know, the ideology and some of the things will label anyone who's doing anything that they don't like as a Black Lives Matter person. Yeah. And anyone can get out there and do that. When, you know, when, you know, as you mentioned and, you know, you talk, to, you know, you talk about in your book that, you know, you had people who you were organized back in the 60s and the 70s, you know, you got together and you had formal movements with formal leaders and, and such, even if it was, you know, in the local level. But now anybody can get out there and just, you know, throw on a hashtag and, and say they're doing, you know, whatever. So we'll, it, it will be interesting, like you said, Tom, to see kind of, you know, what falls out from this and where we are, if we're still around. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that is a bit in question as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, in and, and 20 or, or, or 30 years. So maybe we'll be getting mainstreaming black power Three or four yeah. uh, from <laughs> fourth edition yes. from Tom Adam yeah, Davies. Like that. At, you know, at, at, at that point, we'll have to see. And I might we might be talking to each other again. We may have a little more gray there, Tom, but we still may be on the uh, <laughs> uh, New Books Network talking talking about some of these issues. Which I would love for you to you know come back anytime. You know, you have a work or anything that you, that you that you want to talk about. I think that yeah. would be, uh, you know, you always have an open invitation on, on my show and on my channel, Tom, so you don't have to worry about that. That's great. Yeah, it'd be a pleasure. Yeah. And on, and on that note, I know that you have to catch a train to London here pretty soon. <laughs> so, Indeed, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to hold you, but, uh, but for, for so long. And again, we're here with the author of Mainstreaming Black Power, Tom Adam Davies, and he is a lecturer in American history at the University of Sussex. And he's going to be catching a train to London shortly. So we're not going to hold them too much longer on the New Books Network, the African-American Studies channel. But I did want to give you a chance, Tom, uh, if, if you could just maybe share with the audience uh, some of your current work or your, your current research or things that you plan on doing in the future. Maybe can you, for a few minutes, if you could share uh, those things for us. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, um, so I guess the, the, thing I'm, the, the things I'm doing now are finishing mm-hmm. two, two articles that I have. Okay. That I'm finishing. The first is um, looking at the war on poverty in New York. Okay. Um, so this is when, and, and really it's looking at John Lindsay, who was the mayor okay. in New York yeah. from the 66 through to 73, um, and how his approach to the war on poverty 
kind of transformed city and state politics. Okay. So I had the, I had the real privilege and honor of um, interviewing a politician called Major Owens, who was mm-hmm. a yes, congressman yes. and senator. He sadly passed away now, but um, he was. We spoke for several hours about the war in poverty in New York, which you know, he um, got his break in politics. Right, he was actively he, involved. He was, yeah. He ended up actually leading the New York um, kind of city department that, that headed up the war in poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, but talking to him, I realized that actually nearly every African-American representative in state uh, assembly in uh, the mid-1970s mm-hmm. had take a similar route. They'd all gone through the war on poverty. Wow, okay. So, yeah, the article was kind of about the war on poverty and how it impacted on minority politics in New York and, and the role that Lindsay played in that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the nearest one uh, to be completed. <laughs> and then after that, um, the second article that I need to do more work on but is, uh, is, is kind of moving in the right direction, which is, it kind, of, it kind of builds on some of the themes I've talked about and it's about the 1968 Mexico City Olympics. Okay. Yeah, so when you think, and as I'm sure you and your listeners will, will familiarize, be very familiar with um, Tommy right. Smith and John Carlos's um, That Power Salute and that, which obviously is a, such an iconic moment of, of 1960s history, sure. and especially of kind of black power history. But uh, I think most people wouldn't know about the, the counter-protest that uh, young George Foreman, who was a mm. 19-year-old amateur uh, heavyweight um, at that Olympics, who won the gold uh, against a Russian opponent in the final, um, and this is about three days after uh, Smith and Carl lost his protest. But after his victory, he gets a couple of uh, U- U.S. flags from his uh, trainer and starts walking around the ring talking about United States power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the article looks at these two kind of moments of protest and their aftermath. Because when they get back home, um, I think the assumption is that Smith and Carlos were seen as heroes for what they did. But actually... The more I look into it, the less the less that's true. Right. And you read more interviews with Smith and Carlos, and you realise that they were kind of ostracised mm. um, by, by many many people, black and white. Um, whereas Foreman was criticised by some kind of black power militants like Carmichael and A. Crap Brown and people like that, but mm. actually was celebrated by by many um, African Americans and, and certainly by uh, by by white America. So. It, it, it's thinking about the two contrasting receptions that those uh, that these athletes all received, and what does that tell us about, I guess, black political culture at that time, mm-hmm. uh, and questions of radicalism and, and patriotism and, and things like that, and also about athletes as well, because I think about Colin Kaepernick today and the way that he's right. being treated by the NFL, and you know, what is the price of of, um, of protest? Of protest, right? Yeah. So I think, yeah, there's a lot. I need to do more thinking on that, but uh, that's the next one. That's a, that's a nice book title right there, Tom. The Price of Protest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, write that down. <laughs> just, just, give, just give me a shout out somewhere in there for that. You know, oh, but, of course. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah, the, 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 the Price of Protest. Yeah, that's, that's, that, I like that. That sounds pretty interesting. And, you, and you're right, you know, and, and that kind of goes with what we've been talking about, Tom, and that, uh, you know, uh, the African-American community is not monolithic. You know, you have many different, you know, ideals and perspectives. And, um, you know, I'm familiar with that George Foreman piece. And it's just interesting how he's evolved over time, you know, as, you know, being, you know, a big American guy then. And then he was like yep. this, this mean, evil, you know, Texan. And then yep. he's the lovable, you know, father, you know, grandfather hawking his, uh, his uh, grills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's, he's, yeah, he's the, 
the American dream, right? It's uh, yeah. made himself this uh, multi-millionaire success story, and he loves being American. Um, so, yeah. But you're right, it is absolutely, again, it's not, it's trying to understand the, the black community is it's not being this monolithic uh, group. You have to be, you have to dig deeper to really understand what, what was happening. And, you know, and we have a bit of revisionist history with Muhammad Ali and with uh, Carlos yeah. and Smith and those folk, you know, they were hated at the time and they were like, oh, they were great American heroes. But, uh, yeah. you know, as you mentioned, that was not, <laughs> that was not the universal view at the time. And, no, far from it, yeah. And I had Especially to, with Ali. I had the pleasure of being at a conference with Tommy Smith. Um, I mentioned to you offline I was at a conference in New Orleans and I had the pleasure of being with him and he was uh, helping out wow. with the... The, you know, the, the, the morning uh, exercises <laughs> each day wow. during, during the conference. So that, that was nice. You know, I didn't realize you were going to mention him, you know, uh, specifically yeah. with your, your future project. Yeah, but he was he was uh, he was there and it you know, did you know, remind me of uh, um, his situation. And you hear a lot more about Carlos, um, you know, uh, than you do about about Smith and what they did in 1968. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, reading those. Um, when you get those out, yeah, maybe let let me know, and you know, and I can uh, publicize it and let people oh, know fantastic. about it. And uh, yeah, yeah, and if you find out where it's going to be, you know, where they're going to be published, and uh, uh, certainly let, let us know because we like to we like to support those who support us on the New Books Network, and you know, our authors and and, and scholars. And um, if people want to reach out to you, Tom. You know, maybe if they were involved in some of these movements or, you know, sure. they, they, they read your, you know, to read your book and they want to get in contact with you, maybe share some things. How can they do that? Well, yeah, that'd be I'd love to hear from anyone who um, would, would want to get in touch uh, about the book or, or anything. So um, you could email me on my work email, which is uh, t.a.davies, D-A-V-I-S, mm-hmm. at sussex.ac.uk mm-hmm. um, or I'm on Twitter at Tom Adam Davies. Um, so yeah, either either would be good. So yeah, it'd be great to hear from people. All right, absolutely. So if you're a person who was involved in some of these movements, or you know you like some of the things, or you wanted to talk with Tom about some of the things in his book, because uh, as Tom knows, you never know where that next book or research project is coming from. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. It could come from an email or someone that's listening right here today. Um, so don't don't be shy if you have some things you want to share with uh, the author Tom Adam Davies. And on that note, we're going to let Tom go because he's got to get on his train and get back home to London after a day's work. Um, so, the, you know, the book is Mainstreaming Black Power. The author is Tom Adam Davies. He's a lecturer in American history at the University of Sussex. Tom, thank you so much for taking time with us on the African-American Studies channel on the New Book Network. And, you know, this is an interesting work here that Tom um, has, has put together. Uh, so definitely check it out. Thank you again, Tom. And if you could say goodbye to our audience and American around the world, we're going to let you go. Thank you very much, James. It was great to speak to you. And yeah, goodbye to everyone. All right. Thank you so much, Tom. And we will see you next time. Again, the book is Mainstreaming Black Power. Check it out. And I thank you for listening, everyone. And we'll see you next time on the African-American Studies channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, James Stansel. Peace and love. Okay, we're back on the African American Studies channel, the New Books Network. I'm your host, James Stansel. Uh, just finished up a great interview with Tom Adam Davies of the University of Sussex. Uh, thank you so much, Tom, for spending some time with us. <laughs> we, we called him right before he had to catch a train home uh, to London. 
And so I appreciate him taking a few minutes with us and telling us about his book, the book Mainstreaming Black Power. And it's published by the University of California Press. Very interesting perspective, sir. I think you're going to enjoy. And as he said, you know, uh, get in contact with him if you have any experiences or anything you want to share, questions you want to talk with him about his book. Definitely do that. So on that note, I'm going to end it for the day. Thank you so much for listening and check out this podcast and many of our others on the African-American Studies channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, James Stansel. Peace and love. And we'll see you next time.